I was thinking back the other day to the time when I bought my first coding book, and I believe the name of it was called The Ruby Way, and it was a huge book, probably 1,200 pages or so, and it was uh, sort of an exhaustive book on the Ruby programming language. Now, the reason why I bought it is because I was working as an IT consultant back in the mid-2000s, and I was doing some research on software that was available for one of my clients. And during some of that research, I ran across uh, a company called 37 Signals. And back at the time, they were a pretty big deal. And one of the main uh, products that they were putting out was called Basecamp. And welcome back to the next episode of the Tunnel Coder podcast. This is episode number nine. My name is Nate, and today I'd like to talk to you a little bit about what's called the 10,000 hour rule. Now, the 10,000 hour rule is sometimes understood as the amount of time that it takes for someone to become an expert in some particular field. And while there are debates as to whether this is true, um, there is a lot of thought that this is at least somewhat true. And so today I want to talk a bit, little bit about where this comes from and whether or not there's any way to sort of short circuit the process on the front end and make this process any shorter. This episode is sponsored by Composed Cloud Solutions of Lakewood, Colorado. And Basecamp was kind of a big thing back then because it was one of the first, at least to my knowledge, and I haven't done a bunch of research on it, but at the time I believe it was one of the first sort of collaborative types of sites where, uh, you know, you could do, um, you know, sort of uh, project management kind of stuff along with a bunch of other people on your team and you could leave comments and you could... Uh, start threads and you could have tasks and all the types of things that you see nowadays in you know hundreds and hundreds probably thousands of software packages you know either on the web or if they you know on our phones and it, it pretty much everywhere as far as uh, this functionality of project management and the idea of teams and groups and you know threads on various subjects uh, but at the time this was pretty interesting and pretty new technology. And one of the things that made me interested in Ruby at the time was sort of learning the way of Ruby or sort of uh, capturing this kind of essence of what it means to learn a programming language and sort of the practice that you need to undertake in order to learn the language. And at the time I ran across uh, tutorial on the internet called Ruby Cones, and it's spelled K-O-A-N-S. And it was really cool because it was sort of um, almost kind of this Zen type of thing where uh, there would be these kind of like statements that you have to fill in and you have to fix these statements uh, with the correct answer, and then you can pass to the next level. And it was almost sort of this like apprenticeship kind of scenario where there was a sort of fictitious kind of maybe like martial arts master or something that was allowing you to sort of sit under him and 
And, um, you know, of course, this is fictitious, like I said, as a fictional character, but there was this idea of continuous practice uh, that was scaling up and, you know, heading towards a certain place. And I wanted to bring this up because one of the core ideas behind the whole tunnel coder sort of ethos or kind of the, uh, you know, the spirit behind the tunnel coder philosophy is that um, there's this idea that you can kind of shortcut all these months and years of spinning your wheels. And that is something that I believe is very possible. And you might ask, how does that sort of intersect with this idea of needing like 10,000 hours to become an expert in something? I don't know if you've ever, you know, heard this before. I think it's fairly well known. It's almost kind of like a meme in a sense that it's it's so well known. I think it kind of propagates through society. Lots of people talk about this. You'll hear this, uh, you know, on the radio or even, uh, you know, on TV commercials and different things. I mean, the other day, I think I heard uh, Peyton Manning of the uh, Broncos, uh, you know, the retired Broncos quarterback. I saw a commercial the other day with him and he was talking about uh, something about the 10,000 hour rule. And Certainly someone like him has achieved 10,000 hours of practice in his craft. And it wouldn't be out of the question to imagine that he's probably achieved 20,000 hours of practice in his craft. And so they say that, you know, when you achieve 10,000 hours, you basically get to like expert status. Um, you almost sort of uh, ascend to this place. I guess it's kind of a magical number in the human mind, uh, you know, that there's maybe there's a certain number of neurological connections that happen after 10,000 hours of anything. But it seems to be a fairly well-known uh, understanding that that is something that takes place. Now, the 10,000-hour rule or the idea of, you know, practicing for 10,000 hours comes back to a guy named Anders Ericsson, and he wrote a paper in 1993 uh, called The Role of Deliberate Practice in the Acquisition of Expert Performance. Now, uh, this person, Anders Ericsson, is a, or was a professor, I'm not sure if he still is or not, but at the time was a professor at the University of Colorado, and I'm quoting here from a BBC article on him, and it says that the paper highlighted the work of a group of psychologists in Berlin who had studied the practice habits of violin students in childhood, adolescent, and adulthood. All had begun playing at roughly five, year, five years of age with similar practice times. However, at age eight, practice times began to diverge. By age 20, the elite performers had averaged more than 10,000 hours of practice each, while the less able performers had only done about 4,000 hours of practice. So um, it goes on to say that uh, psychologists didn't see any naturally gifted performers emerge, and this surprised them. If natural talent had played a role, it wouldn't have been unreasonable to expect the gifted performers to emerge after, say, 5,000 hours. But Anders Ericsson concluded that many characteristics once believed to reflect innate talent are actually the result of intense practice extended for a minimum of 10 years. Uh, and also, um, 
there's another writer uh, named Malcolm Gladwell who talks about this in his book Outliers. And I actually listened to the uh, audible version of that some years ago and uh, was introduced to that idea as well. And so well, how does that sort of uh, factor into coding? I mean, uh, there's also, I should say, there's a lot of other articles out there on the internet that uh, try to totally debunk this theory, and they have a bunch of reasons why this is not the case, of course. Uh, and I'm not going to focus on that today. Let's just assume that something about this 10,000-hour rule is indeed somewhat true. Let's just say that, uh, you know, it is sort of a truism that, uh, you know, a whole bunch of practice over many years does lead you towards an expert status in whatever it is that you're practicing. I think that's probably fairly true to assume, even though there's probably, you know, lots of different things that we could debate on the subject uh, and different nuances. But let's just assume that that's fairly true or it's fairly a ballpark thing. And so how does this come back to coding and to uh, the tunnel coder sort of philosophy? So my philosophy with the tunnel coder uh, tutorials that I'm actually working on right now um, is that you really need to be sort of guided into the area that you practice. So I think coming from my own experience, and I don't have any scientific uh, evidence to point you to right now, I could, I suppose I could do some research on this, but I think just from my own experience, uh, there's a difference between intense practice at something when you know sort of what you're doing and have at least a little bit of a grasp of where you're headed and or practice in something that's not really practice. It's more like um, just kind of a random, you know, action or random activity in some particular area. Um, it reminds me of, you know, like, let's say an ice skater um, practicing specific ice skating maneuvers that they've been showed by a coach uh, versus somebody that just straps on uh, some ice skates and goes out and just flails around on the ice for lots of you know hours on end every single day, but never really seems to get any better, and you know maybe gets a little bit better, but doesn't really make a whole lot of forward progress. Um, I think you could extend that metaphor, or I should say, you can extend that analogy to probably a bunch of different things. Uh, I was thinking also uh, when I was sort of thinking about what to talk about for this podcast the other day, I was sort of thinking about the same thing, and I was thinking about the idea of a bricklayer. And if I wanted to become a bricklayer, uh, and I don't know why I'm thinking of this, maybe just because uh, I have a lot of labor in my family background, and, uh, you know, my father was a builder, and a bunch of people on his side before him were laborers and stonemasons and carpenters and things like that. So maybe that's why it comes to my mind, I'm not sure, but I was thinking about a bricklayer and when somebody wants to learn how to lay bricks, uh, especially, you know, let's say back in, I don't know, the 30s and 40s when they used a lot of brick. I mean, I don't think bricklaying is 
quite as relevant today, of course, but there was a time when laying bricks, uh, you know, depending on where you lived, was a very important skill. Um, probably similar to maybe being a horseshoer or a blacksmith or, you know, barrel maker, you know, all those kinds of things that you think about, like, with early colonial America or different time periods in Europe. And so if you wanted to become a bricklayer, you would usually be apprenticed by somebody. Same thing with blacksmithing or carpentry, any of those types of things. And I think that the reason why you get apprenticed is because it's extremely difficult to come into some large body of knowledge where there's very specific steps involved in the practice of whatever it is that you're trying to learn. And if you try to come into it alone and you have this whole entire sort of domain of knowledge laid out in front of you with thousands of pieces, you would have to basically spend many, many, many thousands and hundreds and thousands of hours. You know, I said that kind of weird, kind uh, <laughs> of weird, uh, thousands and hundreds and thousands, but you get the point. Uh, you'd have to spend lots of hours trying to pick through all these pieces and sort of make your way through that course of learning until things start to stand out. And you've heard, I'm sure by now everyone's heard the term uh, standing on the shoulders of giants. And I think that's kind of what I'm talking about. Any sufficient domain of knowledge that's been increased or pushed forward over a, a long period of time, over, you know, decades or even centuries, but I mean, in the case of coding, it's, it's really decades that the practice has been pushed forward. Um, but in any domain where you're learning that kind of large-scale uh, set of knowledge of specific practices, there's going to be this sense where you can't really start from the bottom. Um, I mean, in a very real sense, uh, the code that I write every day for a living is the work of, you know, untold hours of just untold amounts of other software engineers. In a very real sense, I am standing on the shoulders of giants, literally, of all these intellectual giants that have, uh, you know, put together, first and foremost, the programming language that I use. Uh, you know, I can't even fathom how many thousands of hours have gone into uh, say, for example, C-sharp 7.3 up to the point, you know, where I'm using it today, or Python 3.7, or if it's Node.js, say, version 11, which is like the latest version on their site right now. Um, no matter what we're talking about, especially uh, specifically with code, but even with lots of other domains like automobiles and electricity and dentistry and you know I, I, I mean just think of anything that we're involved with on a day-to-day -day basis and there's going to be a long line of brilliant people and all kinds of people in between that have progressed that domain or that body of knowledge to the place where the people are at the forefront right now using that information on an everyday basis so Getting back to what I was talking about earlier with this idea of sort of, you know, skipping or, you know, like uh, on my tunnelcoder.com site, 
Um, I have a page talking about my tutorials where I say, I'm gonna teach you how to cut in line and you know shave off or erase months off of your learning process. Now, am I saying that you still don't need the 10,000 hours to become an expert? No, not at all. In fact, uh, I believe more than ever that you will, or anyone that is wanting to become an expert at coding or at anything else, is going to have to put in many, many hours of, of work towards that objective. Many hours which, you know, you might or they might seem somewhat lost and somewhat unsure as to what direction they're headed and uh, feel like they haven't made any progress and like they're spinning their wheels for who knows how long, days on end, uh, until little small bursts of progress are seen and that carries them forward, uh, kind of gives them a little bit of a forward momentum to keep on going. That process is still very much going to happen regardless of anything that I teach you or any, really any tutorial series. But I think what I'm trying to say and what I'm trying to do with the tunnel coder philosophy is that one thing that I noticed when I was learning to code is that it's so much easier to make that everyday progress and to put in that practice and to put in that work on a daily basis when you have at least uh, you know, sort of a little bit of an idea which direction you're headed. Now, I really struggled when I was first learning to code, and I spent just an inordinate amount of time, and maybe this was just me, uh, just the way that my brain works, but I specifically spent a lot of time on for loops, for example. And some people probably pick up for loops super easy, but for me, I don't know why it was like this, just the way my mind works, but um, it took me a very long time to understand what a for loop was doing. I could sort of get it when I read the books and, the, and watched the tutorials, but every time I would see the word for and then the, the variable declared and the countdowns and just all the things uh, that, you know, are involved in a particular, you know, or, or just all the things that are involved in a typical for loop, especially those terrible loops that are sort of the um, traditional C style with the uh, the length of the container and the you know the uh, plus plus sort of you know um, counting up the the loop count against the container length and all that kind of business. Um, personally, I I haven't written something like that in a very long time because. I try as hard as I can to stay away from those loops. Uh, that's a whole other thing, but uh, you know, stylistically and practically speaking, those loops are not as important as they seem when you're first learning. But that brings up a good point of mine because I spent a really long time on those really ugly C-style loops that uh, nowadays I don't really use very much. In fact, I use, you know, on a daily basis, I'll use a, you know, a for each loop or something if I have to in C sharp. But mostly I use uh, link statements, uh, L-I-N-Q. And uh, link is a super awesome way to basically not have to write for loops. 
You can do all kinds of looping type of constructs in Link, but you don't have to manage that, uh, you know, loop with all the counting and the, you know, references to the length of the container or the array or whatever yourself. So what am I saying? I'm saying that when I first got involved, I didn't know any of that. And so uh, I really needed somebody to sort of show me and kind of take me through this path of apprenticeship almost. And I finally did find a number of tutorials on the internet that kind of almost served as like an apprenticeship and I kind of, uh, you know, put together over time a kind of apprenticeship from a whole bunch of different very brilliant software engineers from YouTube and from uh, a site called Pluralsight.com, which is one of my favorite learning sites. And um, I went to a bunch of other places as well and, and tried some other different online learning types of things like Udemy and Udacity and Code Academy and Code Camp and all these things. I, I settled on Pluralsight as one of my favorites and uh, did a lot of, of uh, courses with them. Uh, but anyway, that's kind of a rabbit trail. But my point is, is that I wish in the beginning that I would have had somebody sort of help me to have just kind of a cursory understanding of what was important and what to really spend my time on when I was getting ready to do the hard work of the practice towards the 10,000 hours. Uh, I actually went into kind of a, a rough calculation of the amount of hours I've spent coding up until now, and I'm somewhere in the 8,000 hour range, probably most likely. Um, and so, you know, probably in another year or two, maybe two years, you know, I'll be approaching the 10,000 hour mark. And already, you know, even at 8,000 hours, uh, I feel, you know, um, well, I'm not going to call myself an expert. I do feel very much more of an expert to myself than I did, of course, when I started. I mean, I feel just light years ahead of when I started. And things that were extremely difficult to grasp in the beginning for me now just come like, you know, as easy as breathing. Now I don't even literally think twice about four loops or anything like that. It's it's like as easy as reaching for a glass of water, you know, I mean, just grabbing a, a glass out of the cupboard and filling it up with water. Uh, I don't even think about it. And, um, you know, because that's a, because I've written literally thousands of four loops doing thousands of different things with them. And now it's like nothing but in the beginning uh you know it was something that was it was very difficult to understand for me for whatever reason that particular thing was so hard and i remember very distinctly when i finally made progress on those for loops um, and i had uh, just really kind of jumped into python hardcore and uh, if you know python at all python really sort of eschews or sort of um, you know, backs away from that kind of really ugly C-style for loop that I was talking about earlier, and they have a really nice, clean, kind of uncomplicated for loop construct in Python. And so when I discovered that, I made a lot of progress. And uh, some of the tutorials that I'd read up to that point, I think I, would even, I was even 
Um, at that point, before that, I was even reading through like C++ and all kinds of stuff on the internet because I literally didn't know where to go. I basically thought, you know, I want to learn how to code, so I'm just going to type in to Google, you know, code tutorials for beginners. And I just literally read every single thing that I could find. And it didn't really lead me towards this idea of focused practice, uh, you know, towards a goal. I don't know that I would call those hours that I spent just kind of flailing around uh, part of the 10,000 hours that I really, or I should say it's part of the 8,000 hours now that uh, I, you know, most likely have under my belt because I feel like those hours were after I kind of got the sense about where I needed to head. And so that's really what I'm trying to say is that I think, and I know and I believe that the expert rule or the 10,000 hour rule is probably very much true in many ways. And I'm in no way trying to say that, uh, you know, that the tunnel coder system is going to shortcut you to this place where you'll become a 10,000 hour expert in, say, a thousand hours. Not at all. What I'm saying is that I believe that I can help someone with the philosophy of the tunnel coder approach and the uh, sort of basic tutorials that I'm putting together right now that are focusing on helping you to understand how to get your bearings. I do believe that that is very helpful and informative for somebody that's just starting out. In fact, if I would have found something like this in the beginning, I would have been absolutely over the moon for it. And, you know, that's really why I'm doing this is because I really want to help others sort of get through that initial kind of awkward phase uh, like I had to go through. I want to help others that are learning how to code to, to cut through that phase and to, you know, not perhaps get lost for maybe months, maybe years in that phase of not really working towards that 10,000 hours of practice towards becoming an expert. Because I do believe that you can spin around and around and sort of not make any really guided practice. Or, or I'm sorry, I do believe you can spin around and around and, and not make any real guided progress towards that goal when you are in just sort of in that initial spinning sort of mode in the beginning. And so if I can help people or help you to get past that phase and to more quickly get into that phase of practicing with a goal and at least having a bearing on the horizon of your learning towards where you need to go, I believe it could really prevent a lot of people from falling off of their training and falling off of their learning where maybe they get lost in that sort of doldrum and that sort of spin cycle in the beginning before they really dig in and start to make real progress. And I believe there's probably a lot of people that maybe just give up at that point and maybe tragically, you know, end their, you know, pursuit of becoming a software engineer and, and really changing their life and changing careers and, or, you know, for whatever reason, they're trying to learn how to code. And so that's really my goal is to try to help others to sort of navigate that initial period 
and get up and running as quick as possible and get their bearings on the sort of uh, metaphorical horizon of learning so that they can start to make progress towards that 10,000 hours. So that's really what I wanted to talk to you guys about today and hopefully it wasn't too much of a uh, meandering uh, rabbit trail and I hope you find that interesting. And so as always, I want to thank you for tuning in with me today and I hope that you are having a great day or evening wherever you are and I will talk to you soon.